because I am nothing. I have been like the biggest failure ever, but God is good. And he can, if he can change me, he can change anybody. And he's tried to change me at least a half a million times. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to go to the book of Acts. I guess the thing's not working, so... Um, just have to take open to the book to Acts chapter 9. I remember back in the day when you would tell somebody to turn your Bibles to a page. You could hear all the pages going. And then you, could, and then you would go, say amen when you get there. That don't happen no more. <laughs> so the title of my message is The Damascus Road. And I think we all know the story about Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and I so relate to him because that's how, even though I didn't do anything like murder people, but I think that you can identify with somebody that had such a terrible past and had done things so bad that God still used them to change the world and to change people's lives. Amen? Let's start in, uh, I, have, I promise I'm going to use my notes. Damascus Road, Saul converted, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul was somebody that murdered Christians. He persecuted them. He was not a good guy. Went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, the way mean, meaning Christ, you know, he was referred to as the way of salvation, the way, the truth, the life, the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he was on a mission to go grab up some Christians, and he was going to bring them back in chains. As he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we're talking about when they said a light shone from heaven, this light had to be bright. He could not see when the light is so bright that you can't see and you're like, is that you? That had to be bright and it had to have an effect on his vision, on his optical nerves and things like that because the light is so bright. You can't even go out in the sun without putting your sunglasses on. Could you imagine? They didn't have those then. That light was so bright from heaven that Paul was blinded. He couldn't see. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Am I pronouncing that right? I always look to Brother White. <laughs> so he, trembling and astonishing, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So the way I took this was when he said, Paul, how long are you? It's almost like when God's dealing with you and you keep running and you keep running and somebody and the Lord's like this. How long are you going to do this? Huh? How much more? How much more are you going to do it? How much more? This isn't what you're supposed to do. This is not who you are. Amen. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. I wish when we read the word of God that we could grasp that these were real people, that these things actually happen. And I think when we read the Bible, we don't really, not all of us, but some of us don't realize that these were real people that went through real things. There were bad people in here that did bad things and God still used them. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. How many times have we needed somebody to take us by the hand? When we couldn't see where we were going, I know when I couldn't see where I was going or what I was doing, and sometimes not even wanting to be in church, there was times that my husband would bring me to church because I didn't believe in myself. And we all need somebody to take us by the hand and lead us in the right way. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate or drank. So he fasted, and he prayed. And he was blinded because he knew, okay, I just met with God. I know what I'm doing in my life. He came down and shone a light on me, and now I'm blind, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray until I press through this, until I do what I'm called to do, because he had a mission in his life. God had a plan for him, no matter what he had done in his life. And this is a big thing for me, and I will always tell you, and one of the things, so your past is not your future. And I get, I get, I have, it's a passion for me, because it was something that I struggled with for years, with with a guilty conscience and with regret, especially with my older children. I had a lot of regret on the way that I raised them and the things that I saw, that they saw. And God had to sprinkle me with the blood of Jesus to get rid of that guilty conscience that I carried around because a guilty conscience will torment you. It will never shut its mouth. It will lie to you. It, you could be headed in the right direction, wanting to go somewhere, and that guilty conscience will raise up, and you're back doing the same thing that you despised in the past. It rears its ugly head, and it's a liar. And until you lay your guilty conscience at the foot of the cross, you'll never get anywhere. They will suck faith right out of you. Faith will get sucked right out of you. God's truth will be sucked right out of you. Now, if Paul would have let a guilty conscience ruin his life, he would have never did the things that he did. He knew who he was. He knew he didn't deserve it. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tar Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. The Lord knew he's praying. He's over there praying. He's getting prepared. He knows I'm going to do something great in his life. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Like he had a reputation. How many times the Lord, like, oh, I know who she is. I know who he did. How many times do we think we got to inform other people on somebody's past? Okay, we don't need to do it. God knows about it, and that's all that matters. 
Because he had a reputation. People knew the kind of person that he was. And he's like, what? You want me to go pray for him? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel. God will choose the foolish things to confound the wise, right? He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. He is a cho- to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer in my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has came as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Immediately there he fell. Immediately there he fell from his, fell from his eyes, something like scales. He received the sight at once and he rose and was baptized. So when he received food, he was strengthened and then saw Saul spent some days with the disciples of Damascus and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. So now the persecutor isn't persecuting people anymore. He's out saving people. He's out speaking about Jesus Christ. He didn't walk around with a guilty conscience. And I have some notes here um, that I wanted to read. He knew who he was. If we could reach the conclusion and be utterly convinced that we have a divine calling and equally convinced that we did nothing to earn it, not moment would be wasted in this journey. First Timothy says, one, he was one who formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of arrogance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and the love that is in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. He knew until the matter gets settled at the foot of the cross and you realize your heart has been sprinkled clean with the blood of Jesus, the joy of every victory in Christ will be hijacked. It will hijack your faith. It will hijack who you're called to be. If we could just settle the matter at the foot of the cross, that that's who we are not that person anymore. Some of you have prayed just to be in the situation that you're in right now. You have prayed, I don't want to be this way anymore. You can't live with a guilty conscience about who you used to be or you'll never do anything great. God has gifted each and every one of us to do something great for him. And we have to guard that gift. We have to take hold of that gift and we have to guard it because I don't think we realize what we have and who we are is sacred. There's no reverence anymore. I was raised old school, okay, in the church. Like when they had, sometimes we didn't get out of church till 11 o'clock at night because people were still having church and I was sleeping on the back pew. There's no reverence anymore. When you get saved, it's not, that's not the end. That's not the end of your story. So you can't let a guilty conscience or regret or anything like that keep you from going forward. I remember the first time I got saved. Man, I read my Bible every day. I would preach to anybody. And somehow we lose our first love. 
He should be our first love and what he wants to do in our life. But instead, we just come and we kind of take it lightly. We come to church and then we leave. And nothing changes outside those walls. But God came on your Damascus road when you were a drug addict, when you were getting high, and when you're an alcoholic and you're doing all those things, something had to happen for you to be sitting here or you wouldn't be here. You had somewhere along the road to be sick and tired of being sick and tired, or you wouldn't be here. So where does your story go from here? Who are you? Paul knew, hey, I know who I am. He goes, I was the chief sinner. I know who what I did. I didn't deserve it. But God's mercy, because he said, I was ignorant. I was stupid. I didn't know what I was doing. And I know I was. I know I've been ignorant. I know I've been stupid. And God comes to us and comes to us and comes to us. And he wants us to be who we called to do. You have to press towards the mark of the high calling of God of who he wants to be in your life. He wants you to take that gift and be a world changer. Be a change, go into people's lives and implant something inside of them. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done because I'll tell you what, without him, I am nothing. I am one person that does not deserve to be up here. I do not. It's only God. It's only the grace of God that I am up here because I know who I was and I know who I am. I was one of those people that was the chief of the bars and the chief of the, you name it. I did it all. There's things that you just really can't even tell people because it will kind of shed a whole different light on it. We're like, oh, wow. It was that bad. I've done some bad things, but look at where I'm at. It's only God. He comes along and he shines a light on you. And he says, why are you fighting me? Why are you doing this? How long are you going to do it? What do I have to do? Do I have to blind you? Do I have to blind you so you finally, when you call and you reach out to me because you have nothing else to do? And sometimes we don't change until we're backed into a corner. People don't change until they're backed into a corner and then God, you know what? He has to draw a line in the sand. This is it. We're done. You have a purpose. And do not live in regret. I did it for years. I would lay in bed at night and think about all the things that I did. And sometimes, you know, my two older sons would get together and some from their childhood would pop up and they'd start saying, I'm like, that's the past. <laughs> you know? And that's, and that's what he does. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying that enemy will rear its head and remind you of things. And if Paul wouldn't have did that, he would have never completed what he was called to do. And then we think, this is what we think. We think that if we walk around with our guilty conscience... And all the things that we've done, and we think we walk around with our head hanging down, that we're humble. That's not humble. That's not humility. That's misery. That's self-inflicted misery, okay? Because people will walk around, and I've done it. I've done it. I've said the same thing, and this was my excuse to stay out of church, and this was my excuse to keep doing what I was doing. This was my excuse. Well, you just don't know what I've done. You just don't know what kind of terrible person I was. You just don't know all the times that I won't go into it. 
but you know, you just don't know. And then God counters it. Okay. He comes back and he says, well, obviously you don't know what I've done. That's his rebuttal is you can walk around with your head hanging low thinking that you're humble because you're like, I just don't know what I've, you just don't know what I've done. And God says, well, you don't know what I've done. I already paid it all. I already did that. You know, I was in the shower one day and I was thinking about all the stuff that I did, you know, and then I pictured Jesus being beat beyond recognition, you know, you can watch Passion of the Christ all you want, but that doesn't, that isn't even a hint of he was unrecognizable laying on a cross. And I picture all this stuff that I did in my head, the times that God was dealing with me when I would be out drinking or I'd be out doing stuff I knew I shouldn't have been doing. But in my mind, God was telling me, you know what, Kim, you're pushing it. You are pushing God. You are pushing. You can push the grace of God to a limit. Okay. And I just remember in the shower, I was seeing him and all the stuff that I had did flashed before my eyes. And I was thinking, no, 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 no more. Don't hit him. No more. Don't hit him. No more. I'll stop. I won't do it no more. If we would think what he went through for us, what he went through for me, let me, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve this, but I can't walk around going, you just don't know what I've done because I know what he's done and I know what he's going to do. And he has the power to change people. He has the power to move in people's hearts. He has the power to save your kids. My, my kids don't serve God, but I know they will. I did. I was raised in church and I turned out bad, but I'm okay now. <laughs> I'm okay now. I'm not kidding you. People don't do that anymore. Like some of you little kids out here are lucky because when I acted up in church, my dad took me right outside the church and pulled off his belt. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, Kim's going out to get beat again. <laughs> I did. I got beat more in church. <laughs> Kidding you. Two reasons why we need to put the past in the past. Because Jesus is worthy and because you were meant to be mighty. And I don't think that we think that, we, I know I don't think I am. I struggle with it till this. That's why I have a necklace that's fearless. I had to convince myself. Because what we're called to do sometimes is bigger than what we are capable of doing without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're incapable of doing what he's called us to do. And we're called to do something. It doesn't matter. In your job somewhere, you're called to save somebody's life. You could be that person where they go, you saved my life. What you told me saved my life. You know, you'll have these little meetings with people and their divine appointments. And you could, and then people go, wow, I remember when you were this or I remember when you were that. Because on my Damascus road, God changed my life. When I was on my Damascus road, God came to me. He shone a light to me and he changed me. And he told me, this is who you're called to be. This is what you're going to do. You, you may not have a pulpit ministry. You may not be a singer. You are called to do something in your life. We all are called to do something. How many, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to see how many people are going to pass this. How many people in this building are in full-time ministry? You all just failed. 
If you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. Right? If you're a Christian and you're a believer, you're in full-time ministry. Because you go out and you minister to people, whether it's in your job, whether it's your neighborhood, your school, wherever it's called, every one of you in here that calls yourself a believer of Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. And we don't take that title of being in full-time ministry seriously. We take it seriously in here, but not out there. Because we're too worried what everybody's going to think about us. We're too worried about having friends. We're too worried people don't want to live in holiness anymore. People don't care about holiness anymore. People don't want to believe in the Holy Ghost. They don't want to believe in the Holy Spirit. They want to live how they want to live once they leave here. Because if they do believe in it and they do receive holiness and they do submit to the Holy Spirit and they do submit to their calling, things out there have to change. Amen? We don't have this anymore. As what I, when I was growing up, we had the, I mean, I'm not kidding you, it was hellfire and brimstone preaching. Okay? And it wasn't to scare people, but it was, and maybe a little, but so people would take it seriously. There is a hell, people. There is a hell. And if we don't let that Damascus Road experience that we have in our life like Paul did, even though the Lord took the scales off of his eyes and he was healed, those scales came from, you know, his, the light probably damaged his eyes and it probably there was drainage or whatever, but they came off. I had a cataract for a long time and I couldn't see. It was like a film in front of my eyes. Once that was removed, I could see clearly. And then I looked at my husband and went, who are you? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. I'm just kidding. But we have to have the scales removed from our life and see the things that God wants to see in us and about us and who we are. And we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness and have a reverence and a fear of God. Not be scared of God like, oh, he's mad at us or he's going to hurt us. But he's a good God. And he wants us to do great things on our life. No matter what your Damascus road looks like, he still wants to come in and shine the light on you and change you because he's a way maker. He's a healer. He's a restorer. He believes in you. He loves you. He's called you for a purpose. It doesn't matter who you are. We don't live in regret. We don't live with a guilty conscience. It's all under the blood of Jesus. It's as far as the east is from the west. It's behind us. So what we can do is we press toward the mark of the high calling of God like a race. Like I'm going to make it. I don't think some of you realize you're in a race for your life. You are in a race for your life. God only comes first when we need him. When we're in a desperate situation and our back's against the wall, then we want to serve God. We don't ever think God's good in the good times and God's good in the bad times. You know, it's easy when things are good to post it on Facebook and be hashtag God's good. 
hashtag blessed. Doing what God's called you to do and being who he's called you to do is hashtag blessed. Making him the king that sits on the throne of your heart, you're blessed. Making him the king that reigns in your home is blessed. That's blessed. Putting him first is blessed. Getting up in the morning like my parents used to do when we were little, on our way to school, we'd all have to go in the living room. We'd get on our knees and we'd pray. And my dad would pray for us before he went to school. And, or, and then he used to wake us up, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. That used to annoy me. <laughs> that used to annoy me. But now, now it means something to me. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, because you're still here. You're not a drug addict anymore. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You're not sleeping around anymore. You're not doing all those things that don't bring God glory. You know, I'm telling you, that dream scared me. It was a life changer for me. I was like, I ain't playing games with God no more. I don't have time for this. My kids' salvation is people's salvation. I'm not kidding you. You got to do what you're called to do because people's lives are on the line. And then if you're not praying for people, people that need your prayers, families that need to be saved, people that need their lives changed, that's why we're called to full-time ministry. Every single one of you is in full-time ministry, whether you know it or not. Your life, who you are, what you do every day is full-time ministry. I'm not saying you have to walk into your job and just kind of be all radical to where people think you're crazy. You know what I'm saying? Because all you have to do is just be sweet, humble, kind, loving. Show Jesus to people. Forgive people. Be kind. And I work in a warehouse, and that's kind of hard. But I am. (laughs) And then people will say, you know what? She has something that I want. I used to go into Liz's apartment before, and I would walk in her house And I just want to sit there because I could feel the peace of God in her house because I knew that she prayed and she walked the floor over her house. And that's what we need to do. We need to pray and walk the floor over our house, pray over our kids, pray the peace of God, walk through our home and say, you know what, God? Every person that walks in this home, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would touch them, God, that they would feel the power of God, that they would know who you are, that regardless of their Damascus road and where they came from, that you would give them a life-changing experience, a life-changing revelation, a reverence, a fear of who you really are and what you're capable of. Do we actually really know who God is? how powerful he is, how wonderful he is. Oh, it amazes me. I want to challenge you guys. Yesterday, I read Acts chapter 2, and I just kept going and going because it talks about how the Holy Spirit came into the room, and everybody was in one mind and one accord. They were all gathered in, and, and then it says that the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind. Not a breeze, not a, little, not a little breeze, but it says that he came in like a mighty rushing wind. Could you imagine? 
If we open up our homes and let God come in like a mighty rushing wind, the life-changing things that would happen in our lives and in our kids, I always claim my kids' soul for the kingdom of God. I claim their souls for the kingdom of God. I believe God has great things for them, especially my daughter. My daughter is very, she has a gift to pray for people. And she tries to deny it and say she's an atheist, but how can you be an atheist if you don't believe in it? I don't know, whatever. That's her story, I'll let her tell it. But I want God to come into my life as a mighty rushing wind. And I thank God that he did. I thank God that I'm not that person that I feel like I was. Because if you believe that and you keep taking that on and you think, I'm, this is just who I am. I might as well accept it. Then you're always going to have a fight on your hands. You're always going to be fighting yourself because you're trying to be something that you're not. You're trying to be something that you weren't called to be. There's no shame, ladies, in being a woman of God, okay? There's no shame, man, in being a man of God. There's no shame in that. You shouldn't care what anybody else thinks. If a guy doesn't want to date you because you go to church too much, kick him to the curb. If a man wants you to sleep with him and he is not your husband, kick him to the curb. If he is, nobody's going to lead you in the right direction, he needs to go. Or you're always going to be on a Damascus road. You have to want the power of God in your life. And you can't have it as long as you have a bunch of garbage. It's time to take out the trash. It's time to take the trash out of your life. Have a reverence for God. Acknowledge who he is and the power of his might. And say, you know what? I'm going to stand up for God. I don't care if this person doesn't want to be my friend. I don't care if this guy doesn't want to go out with me. I don't care if I can't hang out with this group. God set you apart for a purpose. We are called. We're a peculiar people. And we need to start living like it. We need to start. We're in full-time ministry. Take it seriously. Take up your cross. And be who God called you to be. Take out the trash. Have a reverence for God and who he is. And take it seriously. I don't think we take God seriously. And we need to because we are living in the last days. We don't have much time. This is no time to be playing games with God, trying to be cool or trying to be this or trying to be something we're not called to be. It's not funny. I'm sorry. It's not. Classy women, classy men, they serve God. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. That was right. Anyway, I I repent. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, I don't think our mind grasps that Damascus road and where God's been. My husband's telling me to wrap it up. Of where he wants to take us. He's a mighty, mighty, mighty God. And sometimes I don't just think we walk outside and think, man, God, you're bigger than our mind can even imagine. In the good times, in the bad times, no matter what it is, God, no matter what I go through, I have to trust you that I may not know the answer. I may not know why. And we could ask ourselves why or coulda, shoulda, woulda. 
But we have to trust God that he knows where we're going. He is the answer. He's that answer on our road, on our journey. And he wants to change our lives, take the scales off of our eyes, take people out of our lives that don't belong there. You have to be who God called you to be. And you can't walk around like carrying a bunch of baggage that you're not meant to carry anymore. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. If you're here, I would love to pray for you. I, my biggest thing is I want to see people reach their potential in God. Every minister in this church or people that pray for you, we want to see you reach your potential. We don't want to see you come for a little bit and then fall back on the wayside because you believed that's just who I am when that's not who you are. We don't want you to just come and leave. We want you to come and receive what God has for you and realize what he did. Not what you've done. He knows what you've done. But we need to realize what he did to get us to this point. He's a mighty God. He's a good God. He's a healing God. He's a way maker. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the alpha and the omega, the counselor. He's our refuge. He's our rock. And he wants to roll away every stone in your life that's holding you back. Because he is the rock of our salvation. Just like David, he had a rock. The rock of my salvation. Jesus is the rock. He wants to slay every Goliath in your life that's holding you back. You know? And I preach this in love. From, and I preach it to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you guys. I preach this in love, that we would reverence God, want to be more like him, want everything that he has for us, that he'll come in and change the stony heart and clear out the rough edges, and that we'd fully submit to who he is. So if you want prayer, I'll pray for you. I want to invite you to the altar. Amen.